this Sunday I'm going to continue on in our series on the Gospel of Mark, um, starting in chapter 10, verse 32. So that's going to be on the screen behind me. You can read it um, off of your own Bible or just listen or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I preached Friday night at the worship service, and for most of like leading up to I had no idea I was going to preach on. I ended up just saying like, I'm just going to stay in gospel of Mark. So I took some of what I preached last week and some of what I'm about to give you now. And I just sort of slammed it together and gave it to them. So yes, this is sort of leftovers, but I'm giving you more. Okay. So this is, you're getting the better end of the deal. I hope <coughs> they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever should be Great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it's in our midst that you have made us able to hear it. But I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your presence with your people, we would not just hear it with our ears and with our minds, but our hearts would be receptive. I pray that our hearts would not be cold and hard towards you, but instead they would be soft and open in your hand. Jesus, would you please help me to speak this word rightly so that all of our eyes are drawn to you and we can see you 
just a bit more clearly this morning. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we're, we're going to look at two stories of what it looks like to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And uh, there are, there's two separate instances that Jesus has with people who want to be his disciples. And one question that is put to both sets. And it's the question that I think is probably the question we most need to, to wrestle with. Mark is in the middle of doing the work of showing you and me what discipleship looks like, what it means to actually follow Jesus and be mastered by him and to learn under his hand. And to ask the question, really, do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be amongst this category, this group of people? And um, Jesus is approached by James and John, these brothers, and they pull the move that like probably all kids have tried with their parents. Will you say yes to whatever it is I'm about to ask you? And no parent says, yes, of course, blank check. I will say whatever you want me to say. Jesus is as wise to their tricks as I am to my kids. And he says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And then they ask him the thing that they really want. And they want him to put them at the, his right and left hand, which in, in their society, in their social structure, the right hand and the left hand is where the positions of honor are. The, the person who's most honored sits at the middle with the head of the, the table and is in the middle of the crowd. And then the people directly to the right and to the left are the most honored apart from them. And then, you know, the, the honor sort of works its way out. It's like a pyramid of honor. And they want to be as close to the pinnacle as possible. And, you know, they have some sense of humility here. They're not even saying who gets which, right and left. Maybe they couldn't agree on that beforehand. They just say, because the right hand is more than the left. The right hand is the most favored. And uh, Jesus says, do you think that you can drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized? There's no literal cup, and this is not, he's not talking about the baptism that they've seen. He's using these as scriptural images and metaphors. Can you, can you uh, take in what I have to take in? Can you be dunked in? Can you be immersed in? Can you be doused in what I have to do? And when you are asked a question like this by God in the scriptures, when Jesus is asking you a question, you probably shouldn't just leap in and say, yeah, I can handle it. I've got this. You should probably ask, I don't know, can I? Should I? But these are not uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, as they're known. They're like, yeah, we can do it. We got it. And Jesus basically says, you have no idea what you're talking about. You will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I must be baptized with. But I'm not even the one who appoints the positions of honor, and you don't even know what greatness is. You, you've asked for the wrong thing. If you want to be great in the place where I'm a king, you've got to be a slave and a servant. That's what greatness is in the kingdom. Jesus has asked them this question. What is it that you want from me? What can I do for you? This same question is posed to the next person. The next story moves on 
And Jesus is on his way from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So he's 20 miles south of Jerusalem. He's got a, quite a walk ahead of him, but it's not only south of it, it's also quite a bit lower geographically. It's a long uphill walk from Jericho to where Jerusalem is, where he has already said that he will be crucified. Mark is drawing your attention to Jerusalem being the great place of the pinnacle of what Jesus has already told him is going to happen. And as he's going, there's a blind person named Bartimaeus, which, as Mark tells you, that name just means son of Timaeus. But this name, it becomes a name, Bartimaeus. And he cries out and asks for mercy. Bartimaeus is the only named person who receives healing like this. There's lots of healing stories in the Gospels. This one carries his name. And it is initiated by this plea. Bartimaeus says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And nobody really ever calls Jesus Son of David. It's a, it's a title that really pops up probably a hundred years before where Israel starts to use this phrase to indicate that somebody from David's line, some heroic king is going to come. He's going he's to make things right. And the hope is that this son of David, whoever this will be, will kick out Rome or at the time that it starts to pop up, Syria or Greece or whatever, and make everything right in the land of Israel. So it carries this sense of expectation to it. And nobody's really talking about Jesus like that in the Gospels. That's not how Jesus is talking about himself. But this one is. And he's, he is pleading, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the second time within this chapter that the people around Jesus are, are trying to push somebody like this away. So we, last week we talked about the children who are being pushed towards Jesus and the disciples are like, get him out of here. We ain't, we ain't got time for this. And the crowd is kind of serving this function again with this noisy blind guy. Shush, get out of the way. We don't want to deal with this. You're, you're too noisy. You're a problem. And, and when Bartimaeus feels this opposition, his response is to turn the volume up and to say it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, it says, comes to a complete standstill. He, he's walking and he hears Bartimaeus' voice and he just stops in his tracks. And he says, bring him to me. And then he asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus has a very simple answer. I would like to see because I'm blind. That's what I want. And Jesus immediately heals him. And Bartimaeus joins Jesus in the journey to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus becomes a disciple. He becomes a follower. Jumps on the road with Jesus. And so you have these two stories put next to each other with this same one question, what is it you want me to do for you? And it is, it is kind of at the heart of our view of what it means to follow and be mastered by Jesus. And the truth is that a lot of times our natural inclination, the kinds of answers that we will give Jesus are like James and John's answer. Now, I mean, they are very bold about it. Uh, I don't know that we would just outright say, put me in a position of glory and honor. The disciples, other disciples seem to certainly have a problem with this. You can see that the 
They don't even have the social awareness to like maybe wait for a private room. They've asked this in front of the other 10 disciples and the other 10 disciples are like, dude, hey, like we're here too. Um, you know, we, we, we anticipate that um, we, we believe that Mark is writing this with the help of Peter's testimony. Peter's here among the 10, like, guys, we were Peter, James, and John. We're a three. We go together. You cut me out here. But probably they're, they're not saying, you know, we have no expectations. They're, they're mad that they didn't ask first, that they didn't get their request in before James and John. That is not, the problem is not they are offended by what James and John have said. They are offended by the fact that it wasn't them who asked it first. And the 12, not just James and John, but 12 of them probably asked this of Jesus in the similar way that you and I would ask this of Jesus. We might not be so bold to say it this way. We wouldn't think of sitting at the right and the left as, a, as important as they do. But we do sub in a lot of our own versions of their requests. Because for us, Jesus very easily becomes kind of the delivery man, the mechanism by which we are given what it is we actually want. We want to be given whatever, healing, power, security, comfort, a change in our circumstances, whatever it is. And, and probably... You want a good thing. And I, and I just want to be clear, I, I don't think it's wrong to want to do great things in the kingdom. I don't think that it's wrong to want to do that with and for Jesus. I'm, is the alternative is you aspire to do mediocre things. God, please just let me be me mediocre for Jesus. I don't think you have to pray that prayer. I think it's okay to want to do great things for Jesus. But what they want is greatness. What they want is power and privilege and honor. They want a semblance of something that is good. And Jesus, in this framework, just becomes the person who gives you the thing that you want. And that is a dangerous place to be for any would-be disciple of Jesus. It's a dangerous place for me to be. It is easy to find yourself in the position of asking for the removal of all the darkness in our life, the obscurity, the difficult stuff, the, the stuff that causes a pain and, and suffering. And, and when we are, are complaining aloud, Jesus, just give me that thing. Just give me the thing. We Over and over and over again, when we begin to pray that, really becomes just give me that thing. And Jesus sort of fades out of the view and he's only there to give you what you want. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom does not work this way. That, that they don't even really understand what it is they ought to ask for. If they want to be great, if they want to pursue actual kind of greatness, which is actually something that Jesus is sort of commending, he's saying the way forward in, in attaining that is the opposite of what they expect. They expect that the good thing in their life is going to be a life of asserting and imposing their will on their life 
and the life of those around them. He says, you expect to be like the Gentile authorities, like Rome, who is being able to enforce your will on the world at the point of a sword, at the force of power and control. But that is not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is such that the path to greatness is through the way of obscurity. The path towards being put on the road to greatness is the path of slavery. And they just don't have room for that in their way of thinking. James and John and every other one of the disciples, they want Jesus to give them the stuff, whatever that stuff is that they have in their heart. And this is exposed when Jesus asked them this question, what do you want me to do for you? And this, if we're honest, is a kind of answer that we frequently give. Your version and mine is we want Jesus to give us the stuff to alleviate the darkness in our own life and to make it how we would want and enable us to enforce that vision upon the world. Bartimaeus, his response to Jesus is very different than theirs. When he is asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus' response is very simple. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to see the world is dark, and I want to be able to see what is going on. And this is, this is a critical decision point in the life of a disciple that you will experience over and over and over again. Because the reality is that the darkness of this world is pressing in on you and will continue to press in on you. And Jesus' vision of what greatness is in the kingdom is not right now in the middle of your life that the darkness is completely defeated and will never be a part of your life. It is a different proclamation of good news that you receive in the scriptures. I would love to be able to tell you that there is a formula somewhere in the Bible where if you believe well enough, ask the right way arrange the sort of medicine man components of prayer in the right arrangement that if you just figure it out the right way, you ask God and God will give you exactly what it is and the darkness will be gone from your life. There won't be any more pain or suffering or sorrow in this world, in your life. And there is just no version of that in scriptures. That is taking the end of the story and collapsing it in to the present. And when people believe that, in which they often do, by mistake or over by training, the world becomes really painful and confusing. And when Jesus is only reduced down to giving you as the one who gives you the stuff that you want, when you don't get what you want and the world is dark and hard and painful, you begin to resent God. You begin to despise him. You begin to believe that if something was just fixed within you, then you would get what you want. And that is not the promise of Jesus. Because at the beginning of these two stories is Jesus, for the third time in the Gospel of Mark, 
telling them precisely what will happen. The Son of Man is going to go up to Jerusalem and he will be arrested and he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and they will try him and convict him and flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. And when Jesus is saying that, he's describing to you the way that God works in the world. The crucifixion of Jesus is the darkest moment in human history. That the innocent creator God would subject himself to the hands of his creation and would be humiliated and murdered for the protection of their own power. And it seems like this is the supreme moment of God's failure. It seems like this is the moment when all is lost. It seems like this is the darkest moment in human history. That's why his disciples despair at his crucifixion. And what his resurrection is telling you is not that the darkness will never close in on you again. What it is telling you is that when you are in the dark, you will be able to confess with confidence what the psalmist teaches you to pray. That even the dark is not dark to you. That the God who has entered into the very worst of the night, he is the one who has pledged himself to you and said to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you can actually trust that it is in the darkness even then that he is working to fulfill his promise to you. So that you too would be able to say like Paul says in the book of Romans. There is nothing that can separate me from his great love. That there, there is no power or persecution. Not even death itself can separate me from the great love of God in Christ Jesus. It is not that you have been abandoned in the dark. You have not been abandoned in your suffering. It is not that when God does not give you the thing that you are asking him to deliver to you, it's not that he has turned his back on you, that he's being cruel to you, that he is wonderfully happy with what is happening to you. It is that even in the midst of the very worst that can crash upon you, God is actually still working and he has demonstrated already to you that he is the God of the cross and that he actually works in the worst of places like this. So then when Jesus invites you into a life of service, this is how you understand that it is possible to be great in a way so low and invisible as this. Because Jesus himself was a slave and he will not abandon you even in this pursuit of the way of obscurity. And so when you are in the darkness, not if, but when you, when you are in the darkness of your life, Jesus will come to you and he will ask you this question again. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the heart of discipleship is to answer the way Bartimaeus did. I just want to see you. I just want to see you. 
to continue to be able to follow you on this very difficult road to keep on going. I need to see that you're with me. This question will be presented to you if you want to follow Jesus for the entirety of your life. Jesus will continue to keep asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And you will hear this question in the dark. And hear me, it is, it is fine. It is good. It's okay to say, I want to be healed or I want this to be in total, totally different. It's okay to tell him that he tells you to bring it to him over and over and over again. But the first desire of the disciple's heart is not the change of your circumstances. It is a vision of Jesus. Because you know whatever he might answer to those other requests, he will forever answer a yes to you when you say that you want to follow him and to be with him. Because Jesus has said to you the nature of his own heart towards you. It is to serve you. Jesus, with all of his power, with all of his glory, he knows that this way of wandering in the world through the darkness of suffering and pain and confusion and doubt, he knows that it is difficult and even impossible. And that's why he came to serve you. That's why, he said, he came to offer himself as the payment required so that you would be sprung from prison. And you, you can be close to him as a disciple. You may be an experienced disciple. You, you may be new to this whole thing and following Jesus. You could be still considering, do I want to follow Jesus on this road? With this, which is a great question. It's an important question. And wherever you are on that spectrum, Jesus is still, this is still who he is to whoever you are. You may be completely overwhelmed. Can I actually follow Jesus? Do If Jesus is not just the one who's the sort of like divine candy man, the divine Santa who's just giving me whatever I want, do I even want to? Yes. In the darkness and sorrow of your life, he will be the one present with you to serve you and to spring you from the things that have imprisoned you. And as you go on to follow Jesus for years and years and years, you will still find portions of your life and of your heart that you have, you have yourself thrown into a kind of prison. And the light will be shed on these little corners and territories of your heart where you have said, I will actually want to impose my will on this portion of my life. Thank you very much. I'll let you have everything else. You can sort of get me where I need to go, but I want to have this Part of me. And at some point, as a disciple, you will hear Jesus point to that thing and ask, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the whole life of discipleship is over and over and over again saying to this one, the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Son of God, I want to see you. Will you set me free? And that is exactly who Jesus is. That's him. 
He will be that way with and for you until the day when the darkness is banished, when the lights are turned on and the suffering of your your physical pain, your emotional pain, your abandonment, your rejection, your, your, your hiddenness when you want to be seen, your seenness when you want to be hidden, all of those things that plague you and bring the darkness upon your own life. One day the light will be turned on and there will be no more darkness. And Jesus will be the one who has held you in the dark all the way through and worked out his glory. Because that is what the crucified and resurrected God would do in each and every one of our stories. There is no darkness too dark for him. The question before all of us today, as he meets us where we are, what do you want me to do for you? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your gracious and tender mercy towards us. We we are really eager to build our own kingdoms, to pursue our own glory and honor, and that looks lots of different ways. And we're even really good dressing that up and making it look respectable and, and pleasing and desirable, even as we hide these secret desires of ours to just be the one who is exalted and honored and can impose their will on the world. And even though we are so bad at following you, we are so fickle, we are so self-deluding, you've only ever had disciples like this. It's the only kind that you call. And you come to serve us. That is just so hard for us to understand. We, we stand with such sympathy as we look upon the disciples in Scripture and understand that we, too, refuse to understand the goodness of what you are saying. You are so good to us. You are patient and kind. And even in the worst darkness of our life, You are still working out your glory for us and with us even when we cannot see. Father, I pray for all of us who are here who who are being beckoned to a life of discipleship. I pray that we we would take up blind Bartimaeus' call. That we would be the kind of person who would just want to see you And we cry out the same thing that he cried out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And you are the God of mercy. God, I pray that you would shower your mercy on all those in the dark. God, I pray for for all of those who would be tempted to feel abandoned or defined by their pride, their sorrow, the pain in their life, whatever it might be. And God, I pray that you would pledge to them that even in the darkness, you are the God who fulfills his promise to never leave or forsake. You are the God who was crucified and resurrected so the darkness would not be dark, even for your people. Jesus, I pray for those who are 
not sure whether they want to follow you, who are brand new to following you. I pray that they would hear of your resolution to be with your people, that you demonstrated clearly in your resurrection and your crucifixion. I pray, God, that they would see that that God can work in their life as a ransom, as the get out of jail, the escape away from the powers that bind them, and to be present with us as we walk this world waiting for the day when you would turn on the lights and make all things well. God, make us to be a people who are patient, whose eyes are looking for you at all times. Jesus, thank you for being here with us today. May you be loved and worshiped and glorified. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.